Hello, Earthlings. Welcome to the Curious World Podcast. Why do you humans insist on being so hurtful to one another? How do you dress little dogs up in human clothes? They have fur. They will be okay. I send this message to inform you. The reason you have not been in touch with, as you refer to us, space aliens, is because you all are too stupid. I left a goddamn sign on Mars for you all. Do you want to know what it reads? It reads, what took you so long? I left that 500 years ago, and you still haven't found it, you fucking retards. The only redeeming quality of this planet is how morbidly entertaining your species is to the rest of the universe. Oh, the things you do with facial hair. Before the Intergalactic Council decides to vaporize you all, starting with California, of course, please listen to this special episode of the Vandal Trong Curious World podcast. You should be able to relate. He is, after all, a total moron, just like you. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Today's podcast is brought to you by Chai Moki Tea. It's tea that's made, handcrafted in Brooklyn, but they'll ship anywhere. Uh, it's tea that tastes good and it's good for you. You can learn all about them at Chai Moki Tea. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at Chai Moki. Really good stuff and really good people too. You know, I. I have to take a pause and say that I am overwhelmed right now. Uh, the podcast has only recently been live on, not live, uh, been up on iTunes, and the response has been overwhelming. So if you're listening, you're downloading, you're sending me notes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It, it's really inspiring. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Uh, just download, you know, that's cool. If you're new to the show, you never listened to it before, uh, welcome and thanks for giving us a shot. The Curious World podcast is, its well, it's not about a particular subject. Um, I'm not an expert on anything. I'm actually kind of dumb. Uh, what this show is, is an exploration of conversation, uh, truthful dialogue, uh, between individuals about life, about mindfulness, about the creative process, about a whole lot of things. Um, just being honest. And that's kind of our intent. Uh, and today's episode is, uh, our, my guess, is writer, actress, Melissa Jane Osborne, who shares her perceptions and her observations about the creative process and we get into you know ownership of creativity in terms of story and uh, it was a nice conversation uh, I think we both had a lot of fun uh, I've known Melissa for, for many years so it was um, it wasn't heavy lifting at all it was it was a great time so why if you're listening or if you're just downloading that's okay just download I hope you have as much fun as we did Ironically, if you're looking at the photos online, we uh, we wore similar shirts, which is kind of funny. Well, I'm a pretty feminine guy. Without further ado, everybody, superstar extraordinaire and my dear friend, Melissa Jane Osborne. It's all a dream we dream afternoon males he's just more into i guess well he's a dude yeah um but one thing that uh that we, we were um talking about um before uh was just this 
this ownership of stories mm-hmm. and something that I, I've always been curious about, uh, um, you know, who owns the story? You know, if, if I were to tell you something, uh, you know, you know, when I, uh, listen, I can remember when I was five years old and, uh, uh, I, I, I'm gonna steal it. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think of it. Actually, well, I'll, I'll, I actually there was gonna there'd be a story that I was gonna tell. that's kind of gross, but it, w- it wasn't five. But my my point is, I remember being in a writing class, and there was this whole this like huge debate of like who owns this you know who owns the story of like so there was a situation where somebody shared the story of like I guess it was his 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 grandmother or his mother, and I, I don't even remember what it was. And the quality of the story is kind of kind of irrelevant because you know it's you know it's creative writing in college, and so there's this big uproar of like, well, did you get did you get her permission to do write it? And you know it's he was like, well, no, I didn't. It's like, well, that's I don't know, is that really right? Because you know it's her life experience, and you know who are you to to take this and 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 so forth. I've been talking about this a lot lately because I have a friend who a friend who's they're a couple, and. Um, one of them wrote a play and used the story of the other partner's life. And it was a first draft. And the thing is that kept coming up for me is like, how many times does it go through the sieve, right? Like, are you putting your perspective on it? And then also, are you taking a role in that narrative too? Um, are you represented in that story? So it's different, it's, it's tricky, like what's interpretation and what's like verbatim taking someone's words. And it's funny, you know, it's like, well, if it was an award-winning, you know, play, would you feel better about it, you know, other than, or, you know, it if, if, it was like, if someone wrote a song and it was like a really crappy song and they're like, well, it's you. Like, <laughs> you know, you might not feel that good, but if it was someone, if it was a fantastic song, would that make you feel different? But. I don't know, that ownership, I always, I've had situations before where things have been inspired by people, and even if it's just a kernel, if I know they're going to be there, um, you know, see a play or read something, I, I always tell them and let them read it first. Okay, well, let, let's just take this. Okay, so I remember, and, yeah. and, and anybody listening, this is, this is up for grabs, I remember, uh, this is a random. This is a random story, but this is actually true. I'm thinking, like, have I have I stolen any of Anne's <laughs> stories? Like, am I going to get in trouble right now? None, none are interesting. But I remember uh, going home. Uh, with, it was a bunch of us kids, and uh, there was this parked car, and there was this uh, this there was a guy in there. So all of us were like, "Oh my god, there's this guy in there," and um, you know, he's uh, he's he has music on, but nobody can hear it. And we're like, "How what? did you know he had music on?" I did. I hadn't investigated yet, so I, I, you know, I, the small group of us are going in there, and he's Bob. No, see, he gets riled up. Bob, no. Um, do, do people know who Bob is? Yeah, okay. yeah they're pretty familiar. That'd be kind of amazing if you were just screaming. <laughs> yeah. Bob, no, don't talk. Don't yeah, Bob, Bob's not the repairman. He's a, yeah, and everybody knows Bob the super cat. He's a, he's interrupted all kinds of uh, podcast episodes. Um, so I went to go investigate this, the the car, and this guy's rock, his head's rocking back and forth. So it would seem like he's jamming out. But upon a further investigation, was he epileptic? He didn't have any pants on. <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh, and he was <laughs> he was having a good time, if you know what I mean. So he was he was dancing. He was yeah, he was masturbating <laughs> oh, pretty yeah, yeah. pretty intensely, hard, and like he was just going at it, and so. All like everybody's oh my god, and they ran, and for some reason I was just frozen. I'm because I, I think I was just scared, and he turned and looked at me and was just angry. It was just like what? And I'm like I'm sorry. So then I ran. Then you shouldn't masturbate in a van. Well, it was a car. It wasn't a van. It was a, like a. It was like <laughs> is a little. It's it a little Datsun. Uh, maybe a van? a van has more privacy. Okay, so anyway, that that's a random like tidbit that I got from from my life, right? right. That just since since you're here and we're just. Not that you're here and I want to give you like public <laughs> masturbation stories. So if you were to take that and you were to make that into, I don't know, if you were to even repeat that story and say, you know, change the names or put that into a story, I don't think is that enough. wrong? No, I don't think it's enough to change the names. I think it depends on the use. I think it depends if it's furthering a larger 
narrative? Because you could use that story anecdotally. I mean, it's all speculative. Um, I don't think it'd be wrong if I said, hey, man, do you, you remember that thing you told me about the guy jacking off in the Dotson? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> the yellow one. Um, you know, I was thinking of using that. Would that be cool? I don't know, but that also, I think you can also gauge like how precious it is to someone. Okay, well that's like, the point. That's, is the, it, that's is it, more important. So do you judge it based on your relationship with the storyteller? If, what if, what okay, if, what if, if you we're... told me that you were raped by a man in a Datsun, and I verbatim took your story, I think that would be far more insensitive than you just seeing some guy jacking off. And maybe that's my judgment of it. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, how what if, that affected you? But what if we're at a bar or at a cafe and you don't know me and we're just kind of sharing this moment? Let's say we're at an airport, right? Or, or when, any, any random place that you could have a, this conversation with a stranger and, this, right. and the stranger's gone. Let's say it is something as intense or as I've dark. I've had that happen once. There was a fireman, a captain of. The fire captain? Chief? Fire chief? I think I, that's what they're called. I don't know. He's, he was I don't the, think they're he was captains. Fire captain? Yeah. I, I, he was a high up on the fireman totem pole. So as you know, listeners, this is a, <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast about mindfulness and truth. Not, not, we're not experts, so we're doing the best we can. Uh, anybody want to look that up, you can, and you can tweet this. Um, I think it's chief. Okay. I think Whatever. it's chief. So he was, he was an older man, and he was telling me about his children, his twins, and how his wife played music to their stomach, and... He was so proud that they both were like top of their class and he was an older man and I mean I remember it and I was a younger writer and I think I just wrote a monologue about it about how if his kid came to him and because I was you know I'm an actor and he was like if my kids came to me and they said dad I want to be an actor I'd say great if they want to do this I'd say great and I there were just certain ways that he spoke that I remembered specifically but I don't know if that is different than just, like, I didn't record him. You know, it was my recollection and my perception of him through my vantage point. Exactly. Exactly. So the flip side of... of so when I, I, when I sat in that class, I kept thinking, well, this is a writing class and we're storytellers. So mm-hmm. aren't we allowed to tell stories? I mean, if you told me, like, I, that story could have been told to me or it could have been made up. Mm-hmm. Um I think I, I only the only problem I see from a creative standpoint is if I do use your name, you know, it, beco- it becomes like uh, that guy that that Oprah Winfrey beat the crap out of um, a million pieces. That author, okay, where it becomes I, like a not physically though. I, I think no. verbally she beat the crap out of on your <laughs> right. show, but I think when you when you say it's a memoir and then you'd lie like, oh, I was a drug addict, and then I think you're it's, not. yeah, when you're saying it's your experience, but I also think you have to be sensitive. Like, as an artist, you have to be sensitive to those that you love. And that, yes, maybe they do understand that being in a relationship with you or being friends with you, that you're going to be not fodder, but, you know, you become part of their experience. But it's, you have to be respectful of them and their experience and their feelings in, in utilizing that. I think you have um, a responsibility but what, what what if what if you don't know him? What if it's a stranger? Can you can you use that? Can you write about that? Well, I have, so I don't know. I mean, well, should I find that you. fire chief captain? <laughs> he's 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 putting out a fire and he's got his earbuds in, listening to this. God damn it! Fuck this fire! I do love my twins, but then that was like very positive. So it's you know, I don't know. I don't know who owns what. Um, I think if it's something that like people feel painful about, like think about like biopics, like Whitney Houston, a Lifetime movie coming out, and really how it, was... it, it happened already. They and made one. They made one, and her family was really upset. Probably because of the quality. It's on Lifetime. I think maybe I that was Whit- part of it. Jeez, I thought I Whitney know. was like higher than I think a they Lifetime. They tried movie. to get. They tried to get a bigger thing, and um, but they were upset about it. But if they had granted permission you know would would the story have been different if they had been able to speak to the writer or what have you I mean I have no clue with what due diligence I'm sure the writer did a lot of due diligence but as much as he could I don't know if he spoke to them or whatever besides the point but like would they have felt better about it I don't know but if it's 
taking someone else's life, that's a different conversation too. You know, as opposed to parts and putting it through, because then you put it through a strainer. Like as an artist, you put stuff through sort of like your machine and then it comes out with your perspective on it. Right. So I can honestly, I mean, from my perspective, I can honestly say that if I were to tell you, if you were to write about the, the, the guy um, masturbating in the car, mm-hmm. I wouldn't get upset because your your take on it is going to be completely different right. than my take on it. Right. I mean, just just from a, a storytelling artistic perspective, I, I I wouldn't, I mean, I don't have any qualms about that. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I mean, a flip side from a, from a, I guess from a human standpoint, and I think there, maybe there are certain, certain things that like, if you, you know, if I were to say like, you know, my, you know, my mom has cancer and she, it's been really hard on my family. And if you were to write about that, you know, even I then, wrote a character named Dan Wong, whose mom had cancer, and then I dressed him in a plaid shirt, and then I was like, hey, Dan, I'm doing this reading. Do you want to play this part? I think that's that different. That would be totally crossing the line, right? No, well, no. I mean, I guess, I get, well, because you and I know each other, yeah. and it would be, I would be more like, hmm, <laughs> this is really odd. It was a strange coincidence. Again, I guess everybody's different from, but for, I guess for me, uh, from an art, uh, from I a story perspective, I, I, have, like, I have done it. There was one time that I used, used something. It was a reading. And a friend's rabbit had died in this horrible way where she was like, the bunny was literally, um, it was like a, a domesticated bunny. And she let it play with like other wild rabbits. And the wild rabbits essentially like gang raped her and like tore up her insides and she died, her bunny. And I used it anecdotally in just as a story in a larger play. And I told my friend I was using it, the bunny rape. Ooh. And um, I had her read stage directions. No, I didn't, maybe I didn't tell her. Maybe I didn't tell her, but I think I said read the whole script. And I should have been more specific. And I felt so horrible because she's hearing this story sitting in front of a group of people listening to this little bunny rape story. And as soon as it was over, I like made a beeline for her and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. And she was generous and lovely and like understanding about the situation. But I think most writers like have that moment like I have a friend that definitely wrote something about a group of friends from high school and they all showed up and saw this reading and it was horrible and he threw away the entire script and I think as a younger writer like it's maybe not even younger but more of like an inexperienced writer we all do it but I do remember that one moment of just feeling like literally watching her and it was horrible the bunny rape the bunny rape (laughs) wow you know what I I I will say that the I, I feel the complete opposite if in terms of ideas. So if I were to tell you, hey, you know, I'm working on I'm working on this play about um, uh, about you know this elderly couple who wants to go to Mexico, and I give you fine points of that. Oh yeah, that's off. That's and then that's horrible. Yeah, I feel like that is. But like, Nelly, you LA, you actually have to watch it. Like I've stopped really talking about certain projects until they're done. Not that you don't want to jinx it, but you just... Because someone could go in and literally pitch your idea. Right. Right. So for listeners, um, I, I, I've met uh, Melissa here in New York, and then uh, she just said, I'm done, and then moved to L.A., and she comes back and forth, and you know, today we're graced with her presence being here on the, on the East Coast. Um, so I, I've always been curious about your... Like, right now, your... your um, like, what's your opinion of, of, of L.A. compared? Not, 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 well, I guess it's human compared. I back but... and forth all the time. I mean, I spent a year and a half back in New York subletting different places and for the first time in my life, like, not really living anywhere. And I was so happy. Um, and I am happy in L.A. now. It just got to the point where I sort of needed a home. And for me, the most comforting thing about living in Los Angeles is knowing that there's New York. <laughs> and vice versa. That I, I, I figured out a way, hopefully it'll keep going, to have excuses to come here for work and friends. Um, 
because it does charge me in a different way than Los Angeles does. I have a huge community in LA. Most of my friends, honestly, are from the East Coast, you know, um, in Los Angeles. But I think when I stopped comparing it is when I got a lot better. Right. You find your people there. And then also I think with with the internet and with phones, which we've had for a while, but you know, like you, you, you can connect with your people here and it doesn't feel so far. How are they, how are the people there? Like the, not, not the transplants, but just, I guess, you know, just the creative people that you've met. Like you, and you, you were I'm just, really kidding, lucky. I, I I'm just piggybacking with, on what you yeah, said in terms of people stealing your ideas. I work with a, um, a theater company called Iama which is a bunch of, I graduated from NYU and they're a bunch of other NYU people um, that wanted to create theater in Los Angeles, which is sort of an anomaly. And um, we don't do it because we make money, we do it because it's fun. And um, so I'm lucky that I have, I have that base. People for the most part are kind. I mean, a big thing when I moved back is I wanted to make sure I lived in a neighborhood where I could walk because I, I needed that community. Um, I live below the Hollywood sign, and I have a neighborhood where I, I walk my dog, and I run into like you know three or four people. A lot of them are older writers and actors, and you got little bits of information and um, learn about them. And it's there's a community, and you know that's what I missed when I first moved out there. I didn't really pick my community wisely, and it's listen, it's not Grand Point. It's not. It's never gonna be. But once I stopped trying to make it that, it sort of, you know, worked out. Um, as far as, like, you know, the business aspect of it, it's, it's different than here, I think. I think everyone in both places is, like, trying to get somewhere. But in New York, there's, like, a pride in our bohemia. Like, there's a pride in living in a small apartment. And, and in LA, roommates. there's no shame. In LA, it's weird. I mean, people have houses and yards. And people make stuff and they have... I mean, they have kids here, too. But, you know, like... <laughs> Nobody's reproducing it. <laughs> no one's in it. I don't know why they put them in the closet. But it's just... It's different, yes. People's values are different. The stereotypes are true to an extent. That's Which why most of my friends are. Laid back and... <laughs> I don't I mean, I don't want to knock on, on Los Angeles too much because they do live there, but, um, like, for example, I've had to learn how to speak slower out there because I get really passionate and people think I'm being aggressive. Wow. Or I, first time I've ever taken an acting class where they're like, you're bitchy, you're intense, and you know me. Like, that's not, I'm not a bitchy person that's not, like, you know, you're so intellectual, you're in your head, which is not, but for in that bracket of Los Angeles, I am, but in New York, I'm, oh, you're blonde and bubbly, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's just a different um, type of person. Yes, people walk slower, I guess. Um, a lot of people like to talk about the weather. That's a big point of conversation. Which what is, happens if it rains? Oh, they don't know how to drive. <laughs> Everyone forgets how to drive. But you drive, no? Yes, I do drive. Yeah. I'm a really bad parker. What was that tr transition like? Because the one thing I always consider, you know, if I if I move somewhere outside of New York or, or, or I guess a major metropolitan right. city. You drove when you were out there though, right? No, I, I had a bike and okay. everybody made fun of me. Um, yeah, when was, you walk, people think, that's why I love my neighborhood because I can walk in my neighborhood and people don't think I'm insane but other places you walk and it's like what are you what are you trying to pull right look at you like you're like, are you okay like you had are you stroke? right or... yeah yeah is everything okay I have a dog I feel like if I didn't walk with the dog like people would be more <laughs> skeptical like sometimes I just bring her along <laughs> just because I want to walk B. Arthur oh right okay yeah. I, I'm, I'm familiar with photos of B. Arthur yeah B. Arthur is what kind of dog she's just a mutt just a good old fashioned mutt Poodle Terrier mix. She's a dog. Um, but yeah, the driving is, is tricky. It's it's different. It's different. People spend so much more time in their car there, too. Right. That's been a big way that I've kept my sanity as well, is that 
I really don't drive that much unless I have meetings or, you know, auditions. I don't. I live in a neighborhood where I can walk places, so I don't have to do that. And I needed that for me. I need to be in my body. I need to be grounded. How's your energy right now being in, in New York? Oh my God, the second I got off the, the train, it was like, it's on. We're back. <laughs> you weren't like, I'm glad I left this shit No, <laughs> no. I mean, there was a crazy guy in the subway, on my subway car, having a really in-depth conversation with himself about religion and truth. Um, that was a little, that was like, oh, okay, we're here again. Yeah, there's that guy. You know, he's talking to, he's having a full conversation with himself. He's not talking to you. Don't make eye contact. You'll be cool. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's great. I love it. How are you, where are you in terms of, uh, um, creativity? Um, I, I, in Los I, Angeles? I, I guess I'll, 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 I'll I guess right now in your life, you know, I mean, like, what stimulates you? Um, what what gets you excited? I guess the biggest thing is that New York inspires me. New York, you have to collide with people. In LA, you can sit in your bubble, right? You know, I have an office in my house. I can stay in my house all day and imagine worlds. Um, but in New York, you collide with people, and that's the thing too. Is it's not a one industry town, like it's. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. Like, I'm always skeptical of people, it's a judgment I have, of people who would live in Los Angeles that aren't in the industry. Like, what would, there's so many other nice places in California, like, what would possess you? And I've actually offended, <laughs> I think I've offended people, like, saying that, right? Um, but. Well, yeah, well, what is, what did you come up with? Because, I, I mean, I wonder that, too. I don't understand. I mean, I, don't, I just don't get it. They just, just want to be don't... part of the I don't know. Like, why would you want to be, like, a clerk? Like, you could live anywhere in the world. Like, why would you... If there's something one-horse towny about it that, like, you're not as... For me, my ideas and the things that spark me come from here. And that's why I do need to be both places. Um, but the space to create uh, and that sort of silence... It's there. Right. Right. So, so what, what different. So what stimulates you these days? What gets you excited and uh, I just creatively? Love, I love people. I mean, that's that's mostly, you know, that's what I write about. That's as an actor, that's what you want to express is human beings, um, connecting and not connecting and uh, I think lately I've been thinking a lot about Maybe this isn't lately. I think I've probably been thinking about this for a while. But what we, what we talked about, like how we are not connecting because we're on our devices or we're engaged in all these forms of social media and um, you just sort of leave these remnants of like your life, right? Like people could be an important part of your life and then you're friends with them on social media or what have you and then that's done and then they're just sort of lingering like a graveyard or something or even like this how we're how kids are communicating like we were talking about Instagram earlier before we started recording this um and how they're getting the validation through like likes and how we're how are we getting further from connection through these ideas of connection I'm, I'm really interested in that because I guess as my, for myself too I'm trying to balance it too because we need for work purposes, right? Like, we need social media. Like, I've gotten work out of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, Twitter's helpful. It's, it, it's marketing. It's, it's a part of our lives. So you can resist it or you can embrace it. Right? Exactly. But how do you embrace it without... Like, we, we didn't grow up with it, right? So it's different for us to, like, realize those boundaries. And how is that next generation? Um, how are they taking that on? I think, you know, I think a lot... Uh, well, regardless of age, I think people... Um, uh, abuse social media by not being in the moment that they're in. You know, mm -hmm. like if you ever go to, like you go to like a uh, a concert and people are just kind of like, you know, photo posting, photo posting. I'm just like, just enjoy your, just enjoy the fucking show. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are having when they have weddings, they have like a no cell phone wedding, like during the ceremony, because. When they're walking down the aisle, they don't want to see a bunch of screens, like, being held up. <laughs> right? Or, like, I was just with like my, lunch my, little, my little sister, my teenage sister, and, like, she's a really 
active, involved person. She's very empathetic and connected, but she still was on her phone with her friends the majority of the time. I was on my phone. My dad was on his iPad. The three of us just sitting in the same room. And, um, yeah, I just wonder how that is going to... I think it's already started to change how we humanly connect. And we talked about this briefly too before. Is um, One of the projects I'm working on now, this short film, is all about story. And one of our characters is very over-connected. And she's interviewing her grandmother. And the idea of just sitting in a room with someone with nothing just so, starts to become difficult. Just so people... Um people listening can get kind of a, a point of reference uh, I, I know you probably can't go into too much detail about it but you know can you can you talk a little bit about about the film yeah yeah um it's a short narrative it's called oma it is based on one of my good friends and collaborators daniela rabani her grandmother uh was a holocaust survivor and it was inspired by that and the premise is about a young woman a th- what they call a third generation survivor um who sets out to get her grandmother's uh, Holocaust story because her family doesn't have it, but she's also estranged from her grandmother. So there are different reasons for meeting and having this conversation. And who does that story belong to? So we're in pre-production now, and it should be done uh, by the end of this year. Awesome. Wow, kudos. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's been interesting. We've been met, meeting with a bunch of survivors and it's been fascinating, but it goes back to what we were talking about before of this idea of like, who owns that story? And at a right. certain point in their life, if they don't want to retell it, should they have to? Because it's painful. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Um, but it's also a story that needs to be told because those people are dying. So how do we do that? We filter it through our lens and sort of like um it's like the Dave Eckers book what is the what have you ever read that mm-hmm. so he took a bunch of different stories it's it's I think it's because it's not technically the biography of Valentino Achuk Deng is it I think it's like a the biography filtered through right. a perspective mm-hmm. right and I think even Valentino Achuk Deng in his prequel said we realized that to tell the best story the most active story, we had to combine the stories of a lot of these lost boys. Um, and maybe that goes back to like what we're talking about. Maybe that's like a safer way of doing it, right? Hmm. I don't know about... Is it safe? Is that the right word? Well, if you're worried about hurting people and you're worrying about exposing them, you know, you combined. So it's... A bunch of people's stories and then a little bit thrown in is your own imagination you're not claiming that it's 100 percent fact what about this story from a um from a from a, from a writer's perspective uh really got you excited or gets you excited uh about oma yeah two different things on a personal level really being part of my friend's process and helping her explore these themes in the story. You know, I'm not Jewish. And uh, so I had to look at it. I don't know what that's like to carry that around because that's not my background. But I do know what it's like to have inherit things from your family that you don't even know you're inheriting. And that to me was interesting. You know, my grandparents are getting older. They're 89. And there are certain things that they've experienced that even if they haven't told us, has been passed down to my mother. And then through my mother has been passed down to me and my brother. Um, and a lot of third generation survivors, they, they, there's actually there's an article I was reading where a lot of them have stomach problems and stress problems. They don't know where they come from. And it's, what happened has to go somewhere, right? Whether it's through learned behavior or genetics, I, I don't know. But in most of our families, we inherit these stories that don't belong to us, and then we're just kind of holding on to them, the weight of it. So you're saying that weight gets transferred? I think it has to go somewhere hmm. through people's actions, right? Because like their experience, like your parents' experience, affected how they treated you. Sure. And yeah. their parents' experience affected how they treated them, so it has to like trickle down. Like that trauma has to go somewhere. 
whatever it is. And there's been trauma in my family that has definitely um, trickled down and we've all processed it and in, in, tried. Some of us have processed it, some of us hadn't, haven't, but in different ways. And I think that's interesting to me, that like if you talk about it, does that change the whole narrative? You have a conversation about something, does it open up the narrative? So what are the stories that we inherit? And I think as someone who, like, you know, I hopefully would like to have children in the next, like, 10 years, right? You hear that, gentlemen? <laughs> Lock it down, guys. <laughs> Lock it down. Um, but realizing what my narrative is that I'm carrying around before I pass it on to. So to me, that's a different facet of our story that it, it really spoke to me. Interesting. You said two. You said that was kind of the human side. Is there Was there another... Oh, um... I think another side of it is just to collaborate with someone that you've been friends with for such a long time who's seen you evolve and you've seen her evolve and for her to be gracious enough to let me be part of this conversation of her family um, because she could have gotten a writer that was... Uh, was Jewish or was the ancestor of a survivor or, you know, third generation survivor. And she didn't. She asked me. And um, I feel really honored. It's a lot of weight. Uh, she carries enough. <laughs> I don't think, I, I try not to. I try not to. I'm, I mean, we're actually going in to interview her grandmother this week, tomorrow. So I'm a little nervous, but it'll just be a conversation. Have you, met, you haven't met her, right? I've never met her. No, she's been in Florida, so that's part oh. of me coming here. But, uh, gosh, me feeling uncomfortable is nothing compared. I mean, the, what those people experience <laughs> yeah. is, is well, insane. Get over it, woman. I'm I mean, a little uncomfortable like, <laughs> It's fine, and but but to to. As someone that is not part of that community, to have the privilege to engage with telling that story is—it's really special. And you know, we've interviewed a few people, and just having them sit down with you is—it's great. I mean, it's not enjoyable, <laughs> but tonight on Holocaust <laughs> Hour, no, but it's—it's <laughs> it's inspiring. It's inspiring and it's a privilege and for them to be vulnerable with you and, and like if, if that's that's another huge like on a personal level besides just the writing of the project, like it's 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 huge. It's a gift. Yeah, I mean that certainly puts I mean, something like that puts things in into perspective I mean like you were saying like mm -hmm. you know like how nervous you were or you know maybe a little apprehensive to 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 speak with her <laughs> and then like just looking from her perspective I mean what's the word it's just a conversation I mean from her 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 life history is just so phenomenal just um, Every, I mean it makes you realize that not everyone's it's not everyone is not everyone has suffered that big of an injustice but that we all, and I think, you know, this is another thing that's always, you know, because you know me, it's always blown my mind. And one of the things I love about New York City is that we're just all these, we're all walking volumes of stories. And our story is about a girl trying to get one specific story from her grandmother. And we're all, and that's one moment of that person's life that, yes, defined it in many, many ways. But it's not all of her. It's not the totality of her. And this idea that like we're surrounded by people that are, you know, tons of apartment buildings and people in little rooms that all have tons of stories to yeah. be told and to share and that you can't ever get them all. You can't ever hear them all is crazy. And I think that's the difference. Like that's why to me New York is more inspiring, that you just Yes, we have our armor up and we're like not making eye contact on the subway or whatever, but like you you crash against people and you get little bits of story. <laughs> I often wonder, like sometimes when I'll see somebody and they'll have, you know, their headphones on or something and I'll always say, hmm, 
what they're listening to. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes... The best you, is when you, you can hear through and you, you're like, oh, I love that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, you, you make a you make a hate judgment and you size the person up and you're like, okay, well, they're probably listening to, you know, whatever it is that mm-hmm. they look like they're listening to. But if you turn that inward, I mean, I think, you know, most of us listen to uh, an eclectic variety of music, mm-hmm. so that wouldn't apply to us. Uh, so sometimes I kind of... I kind of play this game, you know, if I see one person and I think about, like, the total opposite of music that they might be listening to at the moment. And I I guess what I'm getting at is, and and then I pull back even further and I just kind of think about them, you know, and... And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the premise of of the show and kind of, you know, where where I am currently in in the sense that I think... I do try to think about you know, how other people are and where they got to this point. You know, I think mm-hmm. younger younger versions of, of me or, or anybody, you you kind of look at the prism of of, of life through your needs and mm-hmm. your wants. Uh, you know, I need you know, I need this amount of money or I need to accomplish this. And there's a whole world around us. You know, like you're saying, like, you know, people in these apartments or you know rooms around us you just want x-ray vision so you could just sort of like see for a moment they're they're doing things and they're going through life just like us and that's the that's a tricky thing with ambition is that with ambition you may not be privy to any of those sights and sounds and you know i think you can do it you can be aware you just have to stay in your own lane as far as like comparison i think that's the thing that LA. One of the trick. I don't think LA brought. Uh, maybe it was. Maybe it was like lifetiming or whatever. But this idea of like, and maybe that's what I'm getting with too with social media. This idea of comparison. You see where other people are at, and as opposed, you have a choice for it to inspire you. Good for that person. Or oh, I'm not there. So I think you can be empathetic, like you're saying, and um, see people as sort of all sort of the same um, while still staying in your own lane your own path of what it is you're doing I mean I definitely I mean I truly I, this may sound a little hokey but I truly yeah. believe we're all connected I mean I truly believe that um, I when I uh, when I went to uh, Japan and I was so overwhelmed by the culture mm-hmm. and how um, how basically how nice everybody was and I just it just, it just shocked me, you know, living in New York just kind of shocked me. And it just kind of reaffirmed that no matter what you do, no matter what kind of mood you're in, you can always be kind to the other person. And it's reciprocating. It's reciprocating. It, yes, it makes you feel, you sort of fake it till you make it. Like if you don't feel good, you can be kind to someone and it bounces back on you, right? Right. You, you're, you're opening a heart chakra, mm-hmm. a positive energy, and you're just putting it out there right. and it, it's minimal effort it's minimal effort to go to the counter and just say hi or good morning now it's something that I've adopted and granted probably seven out of ten times somebody will say hi back to me so those other three times somebody you know will, thing I, I won't even say anything this, to me I think I told you last, last time I saw you I like to play the game where um, if someone has a name tag on I use their name because a lot of times they forget they have it, and they're like, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> or if you order a coffee, and they say, what's your name? I say, Melissa, what's yours? <laughs> because it feels weird to me that, that like one. someone would know, I mean, know my name, and I would know theirs. Like, it seems kind of rude, right. right? Right. Did you hear about, did you read that article about like Starbucks wants to instill like diversity conversations? Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't gonna. Someone, I don't, someone posted a really good, a really good response, <laughs> really like a, a, a really good um, Instagram. I wish I remembered what that was about. That it's like, hey, what's the deal with racism? Here's your latte. Eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't. Should you? You have to keep the line moving. Every Starbucks that I've, you know, went into, it's pretty. You your pretty fucking. You your coffee black. What does that say about you? Like, I don't know. Like, what is it? But it's not the exact. It's not the platform to talk about. But why race relations of all? You know, I mean, I, obviously, I, I don't. How about just be nice? 
what people are but tired. Why, yeah, why that, that specifically? You can start their day off in a nice way and just be positive. I worked yeah. at Starbucks as a teenager. Yeah, be nice. I worked at a Starbucks in New York when I moved here for college. Wow. And that was a nightmare. Which, what, uh, what, what um, area? On Broadway and like right below NYU. So like maybe, I don't even know if it's still there anymore. The Astor Place one? No, not that one. Below, like right by that like shoe store and like candy place. Uh, oh, near Shakespeare? Wait, no, that's further not down, Starbucks. Further down. Oh. Well, either way, I would imagine it wasn't very pleasant. It was a lot of people who were um, tourists. So they didn't know to tip. Or they didn't think to tip. So the tips were really bad. And then they all wanted like Americanos. <laughs> I guess it was, this was a while ago, so it was different. And everyone that worked there... Because I worked at a Starbucks in high school in a mall, and it was one Starbucks gave really, they must still, I don't know, gave really good um, insurance. So we had a lot of teachers that were part-time teachers that worked there to get insurance. So we had people that had master's degrees. and You could work with your teacher? I mean, not possibility. They were my teachers. But no, they no, no, were like, but, but like. It could have happened, yeah, oh. totally. Like they were working on the weekends, right? And I was a teenager, so I was working on the weekends in a mall. Um, and I loved the people I worked with, so I... You know, did it in the summers and what have you. But in New York, everyone was so angry uh, at this one particular store and just negative. And I still have I still have tamping nightmares where I'm like like covered in hot liquid, <laughs> like making the tamping motion. Like I wake up like years later um, because people get really stressed out when they want coffee. Right, so that's not a good platform to discuss race relations? I don't think so. I think someone's <laughs> just like, I just want my grande coffee, and I'm going to call it a medium, and you're going to accept that I'm going to call it a medium, and you're going to give it to me. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a pushy New York Manhattanite or whatever that wants, like, you know, triple whatever, none, you know, skim fat, whatever. Give me what I want, and I will pay you for it. Because I'm paying you, like, it. $6 for it here, then, right? That's, that's, <laughs> so that's, your, that's your business platform. That's it. Now, if you want to go to some, you know... Um, I didn't set foot in Starbucks, though, for maybe, like, five years after after that. I think it was my freshman year. I think at five years after. I wouldn't... If someone wouldn't meet in a Starbucks, they'd be like, why don't we go to this mom and pop place? Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I, I have friends that are just the same way. They have, like, <laughs> post-traumatic stress <laughs> Starbucks from, from Starbucks. Yeah. Like I, the I have, steam one, they're like, like, nope, we're not going there. We're I, mean, I, this I way. swear I could probably put my fingers on like a burner and not feel anything. I mean, they're they wow. were so no, it's not that. It's like bad. martial arts training. <laughs> they give you a tattoo. <laughs> the siren is like secretly somewhere in my body. I just haven't found it yet. <laughs> I think. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's just a uh, it's just a, a weird um, a weird for them to be so specific. I guess. Um, do they? I, I, so it's not about it being in the company. Like they don't want to talk about it within. They the want, no, it's supposed to be like you go to the Starbucks. But and, what I want? What is the training class for that one? I mean, they they give you you take all these trainings like coffee tasting. It was like the coffee passport that you go like on different. You know. I've heard about that. Like a coffee, but you're a barista too, all right? But not at Starbucks. Yeah, right. yeah, I remember. Um. Yeah, I wonder what the questions would be. Like, or like the prompts. Like, this is what you're supposed to say to them. <laughs> yeah, play music. Like, is this, you know. They're playing like Ebony and Ivory. Yeah. Is this good? <laughs> Ding! Yes. They're right. playing like Damien Bowie's China Doll. <laughs> Are you offended by this song? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess, you know. It, like... it's, I, it's nice, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know how, what that would. I don't know what that would look like. Right. The flip side is the 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 writer who's using Starbucks as his office. Well, they call it the third space. That's part of their pitch, right? Or What's it's that? the second space. No, it's the third space. You have work and home and Starbucks. It's your third place or third space. Right. So is, are, that's it, what they try to help. So is that it. the guy? The way you know he's on his laptop or something, or he's you know. Make doing you know business in the little corner. So are you? Are you still like, hey there? Excuse me, sir. Have you thought about your racial identity in America? Why yes. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to do. I'm not knowledgeable enough on that. I think I just saw like a little blip of it and was like, um, no. 
<laughs> I'm not gonna even look into it. <laughs> I'm gonna be ignorant about this thing. Yeah. So, how do you take your coffee? It's changed. Yeah, yeah. I try to limit my coffee because I. Okay, so when I was in college and beyond, I worked for a woman that owned a vintage store, and she also owned a coffee shop. So in order to, um, she's a good friend and still has an online store, I think, chelseadrillgirl.com, and check it out. Little plug. Um, sure. So she had this coffee shop, and I would take my breaks and go get coffee. I never drank coffee. I didn't drink coffee all, like, all through high school. Maybe, like, so into college, I think it's about when I started drinking coffee. Even at Starbucks you didn't drink? No. I thought you didn't drink because of Starbucks. No, 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 no. I didn't drink coffee at all. While I worked there. Wow. I think it was because, like, my mom told me... Like, little things, like, stick with you when you're, like... I think I was 15 when I started working there, right? So, I didn't really like the taste of it at 15. And I think my mom told me she worked at Friendly's. And so she used to eat too much ice cream, and then she could never eat ice cream again. I don't know why I thought coffee... You know. Wait, wait, wait. So you went... <laughs> that's a huge leap. I know. I don't <laughs> know where I... I was 15. I also think I just didn't, like, dig it. I had a lot of... I Fifteen went, is a little young to drink coffee. I went through like a white caramel frappuccino phase, which put on a lot of pounds, <laughs> and then I, I went got past that. But anyway, my my friend owned this coffee shop. In order to take breaks, I would you know because I didn't smoke, I'd go get a cup of coffee and close up the shop, and that's how I got addicted to like Stumptown Coffee. Mm. So now, I have an AeroPress that my roommate last year turned me on to, um, which is fantastic. But, you know, I will say that I there's a coffee shop, like, down the hill from me. And there's also a cafe around the corner. But I will walk the dog all the way down the hill to get, like, that little, like, treat. And I don't really know that I really need the caffeine, but something my brain thinks I do. It was probably ritualistic at this point, right? I Just so. taking that nice stroll. They'll let you in with the... Um, I tie her up outside. Yeah. Do you use an outside space when you run? Or do you write... Like, how about your... Like, what's your environment? Um, there's, one, there's one really cool park that has a coffee shop in it that sometimes I will. Uh, I, I try not to. I do like writing a coffee shop sometimes. Like, the change of, I don't know about you, but sometimes the change of environment really helps me. But. Well, here's one thing that is just kind of weird for me. Uh, meeting somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, say, I mean, this is pretty much like a, a conversation we would have at a, at a I cafe. I think we've had this conversation <laughs> at a cafe. <laughs> But to do that now, have you, I don't know if you've done this, it's really freaky because everybody's so quiet. I, I don't know. Nobody else is talking. Everybody else is kind of like, you know, on their laptop. I think it depends on, on which place you go to. So true, like, true, maybe but... going, going to more outdoor cafes for like meetings like that, um, people aren't on their laptops as much. Because like the glare and stuff. I think just logistically, right? You don't want to be outside working on your computer. I, I don't because it's hard for me to see. But like, um, uh, uh, Grumpy. Yeah. Grump, like, wait. Do you have a backyard now? No, no, no. But I just remember, it was, I remember being like very quiet. Grumpy is also off the beaten path. Like, I feel like people go there to do work. I think right. Grumpy is like a space where people like are like, um, my roommate's being loud. I gotta get out <laughs> and, and go someplace. Right. Like, that's always, that's sort of. Or I don't even live here. I'm just staying with somebody. Variety. People seem to have conversations there around the corner there. Might get a, I might get one when I leave. Oh, yeah. well, I'll walk you up and we'll get one. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting, but that change of environment does definitely, definitely help. Well, one thing that I, I, I like to ask a lot of people who, um, you know, who come on the show and are really passionate about, um, you know, the things that they do, what kind of... Uh, uh, I don't want, I'm careful of the mm, word advice. Yeah. Careful of the word advice, but right. what kind of um, what kind of insight would you give somebody that that is you know that has you know an urge to, to pick up writing or to you know that's considered acting or you know a world of theater? I often think about like okay, what advice would I give like little Melissa? Who you had the privilege of knowing. Who's <laughs> 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 a freaking piece of work. It's like Eloise, but different. <laughs> Doesn't live in a hotel. Um, I think 
there's so many ways for you to forge your own path now. And I think for a while I got stuck in this idea of what I thought things were supposed to be versus um, being open. And there are projects that I'm working on that I never thought in a million years I'd be doing. I'm, I'm writing a graphic novel that is going to be... Wow. It's written, but our artist is working on the last pages, and it'll be released, um, I think, in April. What's it about? Um, it is... I don't know necessarily what I want to give the... It's also... There's a, okay, okay. Yeah, it, yeah. There's it, a pilot it, going out with it, too, so I want to like say hush about what it is until can, it's released. But. Can you say the genre? Is it like superhero or non-superhero? No, it's not superhero. She's just a regular girl. Okay. She's okay. a regular girl, but it's a reimagining of a fairy tale, um, but like with like a modern girl who's a teenager. And that wasn't a genre I ever thought I'd write in. Um, I never thought I'd be working with an artist, which has been amazing. I'm working with this amazing artist named Veronica Fish, who's done a few comic books already. And I didn't read comic books. I didn't know. But it's just a different form of storytelling that then has affected and helped other aspects of, of me being, because I'm a much, you know, I'm a verbal writer because I'm an actor. I always think about, like, the character's perspective. Um, I'm not the best at visuals, so it's opened that up. So I would say, like, just be open. You never know what's going to bring you to something else and your idea of how the path should be is not necessarily that like I thought oh well I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a college I'm gonna get an agent I'm gonna book this this and this and then go from there and then book this and then it's you, you don't know and if you had the ability to like make your own work do it and don't be afraid of doing it I wish I had done that when I was younger. I wish I had um, not been so afraid of being like a hyphenated person. You know? What, um, I think I know what you mean, but can you just kind of go into detail well, about that? I think sometimes you think that if I say I'm an actor, you know, I'm a blonde girl, right? So if I say I'm an actor, people think, like you were saying, like you're looking for people in the subway. Right. They think something differently. If I say I'm a writer, people say, think something differently. And you think that if you, you know, something, I think for a while it was like, well, I can't be both. I do 100% this or 100% that. I, I can't be both. So this thing is just a hobby. Or this thing, I'm taking a break from that now. And that it's just who you are and one feeds the other. And that's okay. Right. Maybe that's kind of parlays into ambition in the sense of, you know, in order for me to go from from A to B, I need to I need to I need to do these things that, in my mind, I think are should be done, mm -hmm. and I need to. I'm not I'm not saying you specifically. Yeah. I, I need to I need to read these things. I need to I need to do these things, mm -hmm. and so I can achieve this thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the kind of the trap that we get into. Not only not just professionally, but I think emotionally too, in terms of our lives and in terms of what's happiness. And uh, because I think we kind of filter that into, you know, I'm not really happy right now, but if I just kind of do this thing, you know, if I, you know, if I, if I just go to acting class tonight or, you know, I, I have to write, you know, 30 pages every day. So if I just do that, you know, um, I, I, I can ignore these other things. And to some degree, it's therapeutic. And if it is, then that's great. But a lot of times, um, creative people kind of get into this trap of. There's like an artist martyr syndrome. Right. I need to. I need to go there, and I need to go there quickly mm -hmm. and fast. Mm -hmm. And you know, the building can be burning, but I'm going to be okay because I'm I'm running out, and I know where I'm exactly where I'm going when the burning building collapses. Right. I just wish I wasn't so hard on myself, and I think taking off of what you're saying that it's really important to have a balanced life and just to have a life and to make space for yourself. And if you're muscling this thing of I need to be this and that's, you know, there's no, nothing more boring. <laughs> and obviously we just spent like a long time talking about creativity, but there's like nothing more boring than like watching a play about, a, about the theater, right? Or like, like navel gazing stuff or like, uh, 
You're like the guy. That, you'd about. be like the guy, the guy in the Datsun. <laughs> There's a masturbation joke for people who just. That was, that was a callback. That was, that was a callback. But you know, like there's there's something to be said. Like, what are you, what are you gonna create about? And it has to right, exactly. And then that's one thing that I notice in in terms of, you know, young people. Um, not not to cap. It doesn't actually. It doesn't We're have so to be young people. Old. It doesn't even have to be young people. I just mean people who don't have a perspective on 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 the the world beyond them, who aren't curious about you know life beyond whatever it is that they want to accomplish in their mm-hmm. life that it affects their storytelling, you know, and it affects their, their medium of art, whether it's uh, music or, or acting or, or whoever. I mean, by nature, humans have a filter, and, you know, we, have, we filter things through pathology, mm-hmm. but uh, sometimes that gets so narrow, and we don't let things in, and it doesn't allow... Uh, you know, the world has so much things to offer, and by closing that off... It really stagnates your art. I mean, that that's just my observation in terms of what I've seen in terms of art. Um, and I don't mean just people who are on a level of striving or or, or struggling. I, I actually see it in like people who who make music or people who make movies or people who are acting. I'm just well, like, eventually you do have to make. I don't. I, mean, I don't know if eventually you do, but. In any collaboration, when commerce comes involved, you're going to have to make concessions, right? Yeah, sure. In any collaboration, you have to make concessions. Um, But I think it's not anticipating those. You know, I think a lot of times, I feel like as a younger, I don't like using the term artist because I, I just feel like I'm just a person that makes stuff, you know? <laughs> but it's sure. Yeah, w- whatever it is I do. Um, if it wasn't going to be, like, the greatest thing in the world and wasn't going to get me this, this, and this, I didn't want to put it out there. And I think yeah. that is when we were talking earlier about, like, the gen- this younger generation. That's my concern is that they're so precious with, you know, their own narrative of cultivating what they are that they're not they don't have a safe space to like take risks and just make stuff yeah yeah it's and all I think, out there and, and you 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 know youth and combining that with uh technology it's a it's a recipe for just kind of going one direction and that's forward um one thing that i find alarming not the band one direction oh <laughs> nice nice do you realize if this is a time capsule a few years ago people won't even know what you're talking about? Remember a few years ago when the Jonas Brothers were like a big thing? No, they're like prehistoric. They're not even they're He has like a hit single, doesn't he? Does like he? Jonas. Yeah. So they're not they're not the bros anymore? Well, I mean, they're still technically brothers, like genetically they're brothers, but I think they don't what about, sing together. Like, yeah. So they don't they don't I did see do you remember you well obviously you remember NSYNC, right? Course. Of course. Of course. So I was at a coffee shop in LA and had a very LA moment where JC Chavez, Chavez, whatever, I don't know his last name, walked in. And you can tell there are a few girls that like used to be fangirls because so many people just didn't <laughs> care. And then there were two girls in the corner that were like, oh <laughs> like, you know, in their mid 30s freaking out. It was really funny. So is he at that level where people like kind of can conceal? I think they all just like... sort of, yeah, you could tell they were trying really hard to like be cool. It must be, like, a big blow to him, right? Because you consider, like... Like, if just Justin Timberlake walked into there, that'd be, obviously, a completely different scene. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's happy where he's at. Maybe he's a music, Maybe he's a music Maybe he's producer. Maybe he's Is he? Just, I thought I think, he was, like... I think mostly he's been, like, he's produced a bunch of stuff. I don't know. I'm not, like, a... I wasn't a huge insane <laughs> fan. Not a, don't quote me on this. I just saw him at a coffee shop. I, I, I always, don't know. I always saw him, like, you know, like, him and Timberlake were, like, the Lennon-McCartney of the, of the group. <laughs> They're, like, the Beatles, but better. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, what's the thing? And Joey for? Fatone was the Ringo. <laughs> Oh, Joey Fatone is—he's—he's he's still doing his thing. You know, he's on the Food Network. Do you think it's? I mean, as a child, do you think it's just probably hard for him because his last name is spelled that one? Yeah, like, that one. That's how I would remember. Yeah. Like I remember, I actually saw Little Shop of Horrors, and he was in that, and they had the spacing wrong, and it said Joey Fat one. Because <laughs> no, it was like the F A T was a little raised a little higher, so it 
So it was like fat and then lower and then was one a was a little lower. Bars. Yeah. That was a bad joke. Fat one. Um, Melissa, thank you for sitting with me. Thank, thank you, you for, for this conversation. Me. Uh any any parting glances, any final words? Seems like a lot of pressure. <laughs> Go like, now. <laughs> Say something provocative it's really, and enlightening. It's really Go. An intense conversation. Um, thank you. Thanks for having me. As always, it was a pleasure. And let's go get a coffee. Yeah, <laughs> we're. Um, no, I, no, I want one. <laughs> how, how can people uh, follow your uh, follow you? If, um, if, uh, well, I'm redoing my website, so the easiest way would be on the Twitter. Uh, I am Osborne J. Melissa at the Twitter. Um, yeah, and I vacillate from like retweeting Oprah and then retweeting very snarky things, just depending on my day. <laughs> you follow Oprah? Who doesn't follow Oprah? That's true. I think I, I, mean, I, I might. I probably do. Oprah, most people probably follow Oprah and like the president. And Ellen, yeah. right? I, I think, I think when then, you sign up for Twitter, I think And like Neil Patrick Harris, I feel like most people follow him, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess, uh, I guess, uh, I guess it's kind of built into yeah, that's, Twitter. That's, they just give you Oprah. Yeah. Um, well, there you have it, folks. Um, the definitive Curious World podcast conversation, Melissa Jane Osborne. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Hare Krishna. Go out and do good in the world.